God, we are going to turn to God's Word, and that Word can be found in Luke chapter 2, so we're going to be looking at one of the more traditional Christmas passages, this is Luke chapter 2, 1 through 20. First, let's go to the Lord in prayer together. Heavenly Father, as we come to your word tonight, celebrating the birth of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, we ask for you to open our eyes to see the truth that you have contained in your word. Help us to hear it and see it and apply it. Father, we ask that you would give us the true meaning of this passage and also that we would be better equipped to, to worship you in spirit and truth. In Jesus' name, amen. If you think for a moment and take a brief review of your life and you think back on some of the best days that you've had, try to think of the perfect day. Maybe it was a vacation day. Maybe you were at the beach or in the mountains or somewhere scenic and you were, you were taking it all in and you could just enjoy the day and the fresh air and the, uh, the leisure time. Maybe it was a wedding day or the birth of your children, those are often cited as the perfect day or one of the best days of someone's life, for sure. Maybe it was a graduation day, a day marked by achievement, accomplishment, with finality being done with something, whatever it is, we can all probably think of some day in our life that was close to the perfect day. Now we understand that there are no perfect days this side of eternity, but as far as it goes uh, in terms of humanly possible, we can all think of some of these days. And in those perfect days, for those moments at least, nothing is out of place. Everything is where it should be. There are no distractions, no work going on, usually. Everyone's in a good mood. You're with people that you love. There's often a celebration attached with those perfect days. And maybe you've had this experience when you're in the midst of one of those perfect days, you realize you're having a perfect day. And that moment of realization descends upon you and for that brief moment everything starts to go in slow motion and you simply absorb and, and take in and, and savor the moment. Perfect day. As we read Luke chapter 2 tonight, we see a picture of the birth of Jesus. That was a perfect day for Joseph and Mary. That was a perfect night. All those elements were there. No distractions. Everything was in its place. Everything was as it should be. It was a celebration. Everyone was in a good mood. They were with the ones they loved. It was a perfect night. As we read through this passage, I want us to listen for those, those hallmark characteristics of, of the perfect day. And then we're going to contrast that with another day. This is Luke chapter 2. In those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria, and all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth, and she gave birth to her firstborn son, and wrapped him in swaddling cloths, 
and laid him in a manger, because there was no place for them in the inn. And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angel went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen, as it had been told them. The birth of Jesus was one of those perfect moments. Nothing was out of place. As we look at the, the passage, we can see that Mary and Joseph were together. They were with one another. They were in Bethlehem, the place where the prophet Micaiah, uh, Micah had prophesied that the Savior would be born. We look at uh, Micah 5.2, But you, O Bethlehem, Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me, one who is to be ruler in Israel. So they were in the right place. And even though there was no room for them in the end, God had made provision for them, given them some shelter and some privacy. God had positioned them exactly where they needed to be that night. And the shepherds often, who often moved around with livestock in order to bring them to the best grazing areas, they happened to be, just happened to be, within walking distance, so they could go see the Savior, Christ the Lord, as announced by the angel. So everyone was where they needed to be. Nothing was out of place on this perfect night. No distractions. So they were not at the end. God had seen to that. They were in a much more private place, so they were away from the the, the, the sounds and the sights and, and, and the busyness and, and the close proximity to other people that they might have encountered in a more public place, the crowds and the noises. Joseph wasn't working. He wasn't working late in the workshop because they were away from home. They were traveling. So once again, there, there were no distractions. There weren't the regular work and, and the regular chores and the regular list of things to do that comes with hard living in, in the first century. Remember, there were no conveniences at all. They did everything by hand. Living was full-time work. They didn't have any distractions. The shepherds also were free from any distractions. The, shepherd, the shepherds and their, their job of watching over the sheep could get uh, somewhat rowdy at times with the sheep. If they were wandering off or if they were moving them from, from grazing to watering or somewhere else or if they were dividing the flock or if the sheep were irritated or, or sick or, or being, you know, getting too hot or something like that, this was at night. So there was none of that. Everything was at peace, no distractions. The shepherds essentially had guard duty. They, they had to keep their predators away. That's it. They could probably take turns sleeping. Everything was calm and quiet. So there was nothing else going on, no distractions. 
They were in a good mood. There's another hallmark of the perfect day or the perfect night. Joseph and Mary were in a good mood. Now, parents are always in a good mood at the birth of their children. How much more so with Joseph and Mary? Because you remember, they had been told who this child was. Emmanuel, God with us. They knew this was to be the Savior. They, they knew that, so they were filled with, with wonderment. All kinds of expectations leading up to this night. And then finally, it's happening. It's happening right in front of us. The shepherds couldn't wait to go see the child that had been supernaturally announced to them. This was not an everyday occurrence. This was a once-in-a-lifetime occurrence. And they recognized that. So they were in a good, good mood. They were happy to be a part of it. It was a celebration, along with a good mood. I think we can rightly call this a, a celebration. No gifts and wrapping paper, but a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths. The celebration was marked by angels, a multitude of heavenly hosts, praising God. The shepherds were glorifying and praising God. This was a, a loud, vocal, noisy celebration, overwhelming the senses. I imagine a mixture of shock and sheer joy. At the same time, as they compared notes regarding what God had told Mary and Joseph and what the angels had announced to the shepherds, they realized what was happening. They were celebrating God for what he had done and the fact that they were witnesses to it. Every woman was happy and joyful. And in addition to this, this natural happiness and joy and celebration, we've got an extra inclusion. We've got almost like a parenthetical side note about Mary's reaction and it tells us that she treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And scholars have all kinds of, of answers to what they think those phrases mean. We're not going to get into all the options here. I think the meaning's plain enough. It was a special night. And I think we might be able to even assign the meaning that she realized she was having the perfect night. Everything went into slow motion. And she was able to simply savor the moment. I think she realized this was the perfect night. We can imagine one of our perfect days. We can, we can recall that from the memory banks where everything is in place. No distractions. You're with people that matter the most. You have a, a joyful celebration. Nothing to think about. You're, you're not at work. At least I hope not. I, I don't think too many people would claim their perfect day was a, was a work day. But who knows? Maybe. Most of the time not. You're not thinking about problems. You're not thinking about appointments that you have or things that need to get fixed or something that needs to be cleaned up or, or, or the next thing on your list. It's simply one of those days where you can savor the moment and take it all in. A perfect day. The birth of Jesus was so remarkable, so astounding, so captivating. It checked all the boxes for the perfect day. Mary and Joseph simply flowed with the moment. No hurry, no rush. It was exquisitely sublime. It was the perfect night. Now somewhere, someone once said that if you deliver a, me a message, particularly at Christmas time, if you deliver a message about Jesus' birth, then you also need to get to Jesus' cross. You need to make that connection. You can't shortchange your listeners by simply talking about the birth of Jesus by failing to mention the cross. If you're going to deliver a message about the birth of Christ, you need to deliver a message about the cross of Christ. So we can't stop at the manger tonight. 
We can't stop at that perfect night because it didn't stop. It kept going. The story continued. Christmas shouldn't stand alone. In other words, the birth of Jesus should not be proclaimed in the isolation of the, the death of Jesus. So the cross, in contrast, was not a perfect day. If, if the, the birth of Jesus was the perfect night, the cross of Jesus is about as far away as possible from the perfect day as you can get. A complete opposite, a complete 180 degree turnaround. Let's look at the hallmarks. For the perfect day, nothing is out of place. But at the cross, everything was out of place. Jesus had been betrayed by one of his own. One of his twelve, one of the inner circle disciples, for a few pieces of silver, betrayed him to death. That's out of place. The chief priests and the elders of Israel should not have been, or they should have been leading the people in praise and worship of God. Instead, they were leading the people to murder the Son of God. That's out of place. That's not the right role of a priest and a, and a religious leader. The people should have been shouting for the release of Jesus, who was innocent. Instead, they were shouting for the release of Barabbas, a notorious criminal. That's certainly out of place. The Roman soldiers should have been bowing down in reverence. Instead, they were kneeling for him, before him in, in mockery and spitting on him. Jesus should have been lifted up and exalted. Instead, he was lifted up and nailed to a cross. He should have been worshipped as the, as the king of kings. Instead, he was crucified as a common criminal. Yeah, everything was out of place. This was not a perfect day. Well, for a perfect day, we need no distractions. What we find at the cross, all kinds of distractions. Everything was going on. His faithful, faithful disciples were being pushed and shoved, jostled around by angry crowds. It says, but they shouted all the more, describing the crowds on the day of Jesus' crucifixion. Jesus' already broken and bloody body was, was beaten over and over again. He endured blows to the head. Scripture says they took a reed and struck him on the head. That might be a little distracting. Jesus carried his own cross, weak and in pain from the flog, flogging. Blood loss was at critical stages. And at the cross, hecklers shouting at him, if you are the Son of God, come on down, save yourself. Distracting. Mary, Jesus' mother, who had been present for that perfect night, was now present for this very not perfect day. And she couldn't even mourn the loss of her son in peace. She had these, these people shouting and, and, and mocking and, and taunting. Well, this was filled with shouts, chaos, angry taunting crowds, iron nails being hammered, soldiers mocking and blood flowing. This day was filled with raw and hostile distractions. Well, on a perfect day, you've got good moods and celebrations and joy. This day was marked by sadness and darkness and painful grief. This wasn't a birth, it was an execution. No one was in a good mood. His mother was watching her son die and an excruciating death before her eyes, and there was nothing she could do to stop it. It was dark. The mood was dark. It was literally a dark day. Scripture says, now from the sixth hour there was darkness all over the land until the ninth hour. This wasn't a joyful beginning like his birth. This was a sorrowful and tragic end. Crying, wailing, utter loss of hope. As Jesus cried out, it is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. 
No angelic announcement, no heavenly host, no eager shepherds coming, coming to witness something that, that happened, none of that. The day Jesus went to the cross was about as far away from a perfect day as you can get. But it was a perfect sacrifice. And that's what we needed. God knew we didn't need another perfect day. He knew we needed a perfect sacrifice. Hebrews 9.22 says, Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. We needed a perfect sacrifice, not another perfect day. Hebrews 9.26, He has appeared, Jesus, once for all at the end of the ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of Himself. Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for Him. The day of Jesus' death was not a perfect day, and it wasn't supposed to be. It was supposed to be a perfect sacrifice, and it was. God knew that's what we needed. Unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior. When we had the scripture reading earlier from Matthew, that word was also in there. A savior. Savior from what? A savior means one who saves. From what? What are we saved from? I was at a gathering not too long ago and someone was praying and they said, Father, we thank you for sending Jesus to save us and we thank you that he saved us from fear. And I was this close from interrupting the prayer. And Don said, I'm glad you didn't. And I said, I'm glad I didn't too, because it would have been inappropriate. But I wanted to say, no, he did not. Jesus did not come to save us from fear. Jesus did not come to save us from depression or sadness or poverty or victimhood or aimlessness. None of those things. Jesus came to save us from hell. Jesus came to save us from the penalty of sin, which is hell. He saves us from the penalty of sin. That's what Jesus came to save us from. Not fear or anything else. We've got to grasp this. We've, we've got to understand everything else is simply blasphemy. It's misrepresenting God. That is not what Jesus came to save us from. Think about, think about an unbeliever for a moment who hears that message. Jesus came to save you from fear. Well, I'm not afraid of anything. I guess I don't need a savior. Fair enough. Jesus came to save us from our sins. And specifically the penalty of our sin. The penalty for sin is hell. But the penalty for sin has been paid for you if you turn to Jesus Christ in faith. Because he made the perfect sacrifice and because he's the perfect savior. We're not perfect. I remember uh, in junior high listening to some arguments between students, and sometimes it would go this route. Maybe you've heard this too, and, and it worked in junior high. Um, someone would be arguing with, with another person, and they would be losing the argument. They, they would not be holding their own. 
and they would realize that they're losing the argument, so they would switch it and turn it around at them, and they would say, oh, and you're so perfect. You're Mr. Perfect, or you're Miss Perfect. You never do anything wrong. And of course, then that puts the other person on the defensive. Well, no, I didn't say I was perfect. Okay, then. And that was kind of the way of evening things out by saying, you know what? We're all imperfect, so get off my case. Um, you're not perfect either. Let's just agree to, to not be perfect together. And that works in junior high. But we're adults now, and that doesn't really work if you're arguing with somebody. But unfortunately, we, we sometimes bring that attitude of this universal imperfectness with us into adulthood, and sometimes we think, well, I'm not perfect, you're not perfect, nobody's perfect, so I'm sure in the end, God will look at my life, and because, you know, I'm not as bad as, as that person, or I've done all right, after all, nobody's perfect, I'm sure he'll let me in. Actually, that's not true. There is someone who's perfect, and that's Jesus. Jesus is perfect. None of us are perfect. Jesus is perfect. God demands perfection. He demands moral, perfect righteousness. And Jesus is the only one who has that. None of us have it. We, we've all failed to love God with our heart, soul, mind, and strength perfectly every day of our life. We've, we've all failed to, to keep Jesus as, as the number one in our life. We, we've, we've all put something ahead of Jesus at some point in our life. Something's been more important than our Savior. We, we've all, if not taken his name in vain, we've all, we've all uttered something that's not true, not 100% true about God. At some point, we've said something. We've all failed to perfectly keep the Lord's day every day of our life. We've all failed to perfectly honor our father and mother perfectly, all the time, from childhood. We've all gotten angry unjustly with someone. We've all thought un impure thoughts. We've all taken something that doesn't belong to us. We've all uttered something that's not been 100% true. We've all been less than content with our place in life or what we have, and we've desired something that's not ours. We've all broken all Ten Commandments. We're not perfect. Jesus is. He perfectly did all those things. He never broke any, any part of God's law in thought, deed, or action, or heart motivation. He's got that perfect record of righteousness. We don't. So when we see this, unto you is born this day a city of David, a Savior, we understand that Jesus came to save us from our sins. It's not automatic. That's why we appreciate the ESV translation. Did you catch that? Down in verse 14, Glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. In other words, his elect. Those he came to save. Those who place their faith and trust in him. It's not an automatic, we don't automatically get saved by Jesus. He has to call us. So when we place our faith and trust in this perfect Savior who made the perfect sacrifice, our sin is dealt with. His, his blood covers the penalty that we owe to God, and his perfect record of righteousness is credited to us. It's imputed. So when God looks at us in Christ, 
He doesn't see our filthy rags. He doesn't see our sin. He doesn't see all those skeletons in our closet. He doesn't see the broken moral imperfection that we have. He sees the righteousness of Christ. And that's how he can declare us righteous. That's how he can pronounce us righteous. And gives us a new heart so we desire him and live for him. New life. We didn't need another perfect day. We needed a perfect sacrifice. And it had to be accomplished by a perfect Savior. Let's make sure we connect the dots this Christmas. Let's make sure that at Christmas time we communicate the urgency of the gospel. We need to proclaim the birth of Jesus. Yes, a perfect Savior. But we also need to proclaim his perfect sacrifice. Amen. Heavenly Father, as we come before you this Christmas, we understand that the birth of Jesus, our Savior, does not stand alone in isolation. Jesus was was born in Bethlehem as a baby, but he did not stay a baby. He grew, he became a man, and he went to the cross. And God promises us that when we turn to him in faith, he will forgive our sin and declare us righteous based on the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Not ours, but the perfect righteousness of our perfect Savior. Amen.